I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles with me. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 30. So if you, if you have a Bible, take it out. If you don't have a Bible, the one in front of you is yours to use. And if you don't own one, it's yours to keep. Please consider taking it home with you. Thank you, Lowell, for the pencil that I dropped earlier. Um, we're in Proverbs chapter 30, beginning at verse 32. If you play the fool and exalt yourself, or if you plan evil, clap your hand over your mouth. For as churning cream produces butter, and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me just ask, I don't don't know what your experience has been, but for my family this this past winter and spring, I feel like someone was getting sick every other week. (laughs) Did anybody else have that experience here? Not not COVID, thankfully, um, or anything like that, but it was just just the regular kind of -of run-of-the-mill cold. I didn't know there were so many that we could get so often, but we seemed to get it over and over again. And, and, And I don't know about you, but when you get sick, especially when you get a cold, what's the worst symptom? For, for me, it's, it's a stuffy nose. That's, that's the worst. Uh, because when you have a headache, you know, you could take Tylenol or ibuprofen, body aches, all that kind of stuff. You can usually deal with those things. But when it comes to a stuffy nose, it, it seems to cloud your brain. It affects everything that you do. And you can take, like, decongestants, but then those make you all jittery, and, 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 and sometimes they cloud your brain in a different way as well. And so back when I was in college, I've always, it's always bothered me, um, I, I discovered this really cool tool that I still use today when I have a particularly stuffy nose. Does anybody know what this is? Anybody here? Anybody not know what this is? No, a couple of you don't know. Let me, let me pour you a glass of water and you can drink it, okay? Here's, here's what it is. Those of you who are laughing, you know what it is. This is called a neti pot. This is called a neti pot. And what you do, uh, Gary, I know you said you don't know what this is. You add salt water inside of this, warm salt water, and then you proceed to, to make your wife very angry by going over the sink and you put this part into the top nostril of your nose and you pour all of the salt water through your nasal passages that are full of gross stuff. And if it works the way it's designed to, all of it comes out the lower nostril and all over the sink. And so let me demonstrate for No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That would be really, really gross. Uh, my, I'll, just for the record, my family, I'm the only one that uses this. Nobody else wants to use it. They all think it's just absolutely disgusting. And in case any of you are wondering, because I know some of you are going to come up later, and you're going to look at my hands, and you're going to be like, ew, he's giving us communion. I bought that at Walgreens yesterday. It's brand new. has never been used. That would be gross. So if you, if you don't have a neti pot and that interests you, you have a stuffy nose today, let me know. I will give it to you, because I have one at home. But, but I, I seriously, as, as small as our noses are, the reason I'm willing to use something like that and to go to that kind of an extreme is because it has a disproportionate effect 
on the quality of the rest of your life, right? Like when your nose is stuffy, it affects your other senses. You can't taste quite the same. If it's really stuffed up, you can't hear. Even at best, just walking around on a sunny day like today with a stuffy nose just dulls the whole thing. You just kind of feel like, eh. Well, t- today, yeah, eh, that's the official word, Kathy, <laughs> eh. Well, today's the, the last Sunday in our series that we're calling Here to There. And if you're joining us for the first time, we've been focusing for four weeks now on different aspects of the reality that our faith is really more about the journey than it is about the destination. None of us here have arrived, and I hope that that's good news to anybody that feels like they should have arrived, or they haven't arrived, or when am I going to arrive? Our hope is that it is a comfort to us to know that we are together in the fact that none of us have arrived yet, and the journey of faith is discerning where does God have me right now? There's a purpose for where I am in my life right now. And and as we discern that truth, we discern the voice of God as he's calling us into a future that only he can see. And all of this has led us to our last message today, which is called Lashing Out to loving more. There's so much lashing out in our world today. And while, unfortunately, this is nothing new, I don't think, it has certainly become intensified over the last couple of years. Would you agree? There's a lot of things that we have just upped our anger level on is the weight of the world and the heaviness of the topics of disagreement that we have in so many places has come to bear upon us. And my fear in all of that is that we have transitioned at this point to a place where lashing out like a stuffy nose is affecting everything else that we're doing in life. It's affecting our relationships. It's affecting the quality of our day. And that leads us to the reading that we read just a minute ago. It's in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And if you look at it, you'll begin to see where I'm going with this whole stuffy nose analogy. Let's take a look at the first verse again. Proverbs 30, 32. The author says, If you play the fool and exalt yourself, or if you plan evil, clap your hand over your mouth. Now, I love Proverbs because there's no beating around the bush here, right? Right? It's very obvious. If you're planning evil... If you're exalting yourself, if you're walking around with pride, he says you're a fool and you should close your mouth. That's what it says. You're a fool and you should close your mouth. And the reason why is because what we're going to read in the next verse is that there are consequences. And that's, that's the whole book of Proverbs, right? That's what a proverb is. It's cause and effect. It's if you do this this will happen. Or if you don't do that, this will be the effect. And Proverbs 30, 32 through 33 is about to suggest to us that by lashing out and exalting ourselves and planning evil and using words like a fool, there are going to be consequences. And the consequences are played out here in the English, but even better in the original language that this was written in, which is Hebrew. There's a very interesting wordplay that's taking place in this particular proverb. And I want to point this out on the next slide. In verse 33, Pammy, if you could move over, thank you. Um, What you'll see here, there are three different English words 
But in Hebrew, they all come from the same Hebrew word. Okay, and so I've got them highlighted here up here on the screen. Let's read through this again. Proverbs 30, 33. For as churning cream produces butter, and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. Churning, twisting, stirring meats. This is the Hebrew word, meats. It's behind each and every one of those words. Same word. And so if we take it in the context of the verse just before it, it suggests that playing the fool by lashing out at others has the same impact as churning cream or twisting your nose. Now, if you're not a farmer, you're forgiven for not knowing how to make butter, but you can actually make it at home, right? All you got to do is take liquid cream and you churn it, right? You can put it in a special device, or if you're at home, you could just put it in a jar and you just shake it up and you put pressure on it and you press it until the liquid separates from the solid fats and the consistency literally changes and it doesn't move anymore. In the next line, you've got twisting of the nose and we learn that if you do the same thing to your nose that you do to cream to make butter, right? Which sounds like it's painful and it is. What'll end up happening is you will start to bleed. Do you see the progression that the author is giving us right here? And so you get to the last line, and it says that, that if you do the same thing to your anger, churning, twisting, stirring, meats, same Hebrew word, if you do the same thing with your anger that you do to produce butter and you do to make your nose bleed, if you stir it and press it and twist it, it will produce strife. Churning cream produces butter. Twisting your nose produces blood. And stirring anger produces strife. And strife is like walking around with a stuffy nose. And I'm not making this up. One of the commentators that I read this week pointed out that the Hebrew word for nose looks very similar to the Hebrew word for anger. And it's intentional. In this particular proverb, does does anybody's nose flare when they get angry? Those of you that are here with a spouse, maybe I should ask your spouse. Like, like is that one of the things that you do? Does your nose flare when you get mad? See, the reason that I go to such a gross extreme to use that neti pot when my nose is stuffed is, is really because I can't breathe, right? I can't breathe. And when you can't breathe... You really can't do anything. When you're lashing out, the author here says the same is true in our relationships. It's the same in our life. It's the same in our relationship with God, and it's the same in our relationship with one another. It suffocates us. And I'm not making this up. At the the beginning of the Bible, the origin story of creation, in Genesis chapter 2, we see that this is the way in which God brought life into humanity. Take a look at verse 7. It says, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his, say it with me, nostrils. You didn't think you were going to say nostrils in church this morning, did you? Same Hebrew word that's used for nose in Proverbs 30. It, the, the, 
the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nose, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Same Hebrew word as nose. God created man from dust. And I want you just to slow down for a minute. Just think like the progression here in the timeline of God is that there was this moment in time, right? Where God scooped up dust and he formed the man, right? And there was this moment in time where that man was fully formed and yet he was not alive. He was not alive until God breathed life into him. And the way in which he breathes life into the man is not some magical breathing over his entire body. It's not breathing into the mouth, right? Like we might do resuscitation on someone who is no longer breathing. It's not through his ears. It's not straight into his heart. But it's through his nose. Adam was brought to life through his nose. And then we go to Proverbs that we see that we're not supposed to twist our nose because you won't be able to breathe. Because God wants to breathe life into you and he can't do it if you're churning your nose. And this verse is not about your nose, it's about anger. The progression is about anger. The word nose and anger look similar because stirring up your anger can do the same thing. It can suffocate us. It can cause us to bleed. And like a stuffy nose, it can literally begin to take the life out of other places in our lives as well. This is the problem with the lash-out world that we're living in right now. This is... The problem. And so we have to ask then what's the solution? What are some of the alternatives? How do we move beyond this? Not to arrive, but to get from where we are to where we're going, from here to there. And there's a few things that we can do. The first one is this lower your expectations of other people. And and while you're at it, (laughs) lower your expectations of yourself. Lower your expectations of other people and lower your expectations of yourself. This whole series has been based on the reality that all of us are on a journey and none of us have arrived. I've said that every single weekend, hoping that it begins to sink in. And if that's true, then that means that every single person around you has probably done a lot of things and said a lot of things that have the potential to leave you angry because we are all works in progress. We are all really good at making mistakes. The Apostle Paul says this to a young Timothy in a sobering description of humanity before the second coming of Jesus. He says this. He says, For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. This is not prescriptive, this is descriptive. (laughs) This, This is just reality. It is true. And it's true already. We are fickle, fallen, and broken people. We all are. 
And yet how often do we walk around, and I'm guilty of this, when somebody offends you and they say the wrong thing or they do the wrong thing and we walk around for hours or days or weeks or years and we just think about it over and over again. Another word that the author of Proverbs would use to describe that would be to stir it. We're churning it. We're twisting it in our mind. And like a stuffy nose, it begins to impact everything until you're thinking about it, even when you're not with the person that offended you. And so there's a very simple way to short-circuit that process that all of us are guilty of going through, and that is to ask a simple question. Have I ever done to someone else what that person has done to me? Like, pause in a moment that you're upset with somebody and ask yourself, have I ever done to somebody else what they've done to me? Maybe they lied to you. Have you ever lied before? Chances are you have. And if you say, I've never lied in my life, you're lying right now, right? Like, there you go. Now you have. Now you see. Now you could say that you can, as you did, right? Right? Have you ever cheated? Somebody cheated you out of something? Have you ever had a perspective on an important topic, maybe who you voted for or how we should be dealing with a certain issue in our world right now. And how many times now are we getting so angry at people who see things differently than us as if there's been not been times where you've seen things the wrong way too, right? Have we not all been in that same position? People mess up, don't they? And you mess up, and I mess up, and we all mess up, especially when we're living in the pressure cooker of the world that we're living in right now. And that's why we don't need more anger in the world that we're living in. What we need more of is grace. Ephesians 2, Paul says this, It is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. Friends, followers of Jesus are not marked as people who have arrived, okay? That is not what it looks like to be a Christian. It is not what it looks like to be a Christian, to be marked as people that are better than other people. We are marked by grace. Grace is what defines followers of Jesus. And it's grace that has been given to us, not grace that we've earned. Grace that we have to receive so that we can then go out and extend that grace to other people. The more grace we have, the more grace we have for ourselves, we talked about this last week, the less we will be unlikely to extend it to others. The more grace we'll have to give and the less we will be angry. Now that's all helpful, but I also just want to name the reality that there are legitimate reasons to be angry too, right? Anger in and of itself, we we learned this at the beginning of the year, we did that series on emotional faith, those of you that were joining us, and so I'm not going to rehash that, but we learned that anger in and of itself is not sinful. Even Jesus got angry, but being angry and stirring anger are two different things. Being angry and stirring anger are two different things. Jesus' brother James wrote this. He said, My dear brothers and sisters, 
Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. If you know anything about God, you know that God is all about righteousness. And that's important if you have genuinely been wronged. Or if you're angry over the reality of those in the world that are genuinely being wronged. If God sounds like he's looking at the injustices of the world and singing kumbaya, that doesn't sound like a very loving God at all. God desires righteousness for you and for everybody on the face of the planet who's on a journey just like you and I are. Anger just isn't the ticket to get it. Anger isn't the ticket to get there because it doesn't produce righteousness. Proverbs 30 says when you stir it, it actually produces the opposite. It produces strife. And so if we live in a world where there are injustices and anger can't solve them, then what can? Love. Love. And Jesus didn't call us to be angry. He called us to love. He didn't call us to be angry. He called us to love. This does not say that we can't be angry. Anger is not a sin, but it is not our mission. Jesus didn't say the greatest commandment, right, is be mad at God and be mad at your neighbor like you're mad at yourself. Is that what he said? Love. We're called to love. We're called to love. In his speech, Loving Your Enemies, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. It's not lost on me that he said those words and we're praying for those in Buffalo today. And yet what's true and what we read in the Gospels and what we read in Proverbs is that when you stir up anger, it doesn't produce the the solution and the hope that we need, that we want, that we desire. When you stir up anger, you get more anger. And yet when you add love, you get righteousness. You get the righteousness that James is talking about. It's the righteousness that God desires. And I I think about all the reasons that we have to be angry these days. And we've got a lot of good, serious reasons to be angry. But then I think, man, how many reasons did Jesus have to be angry when he walked the earth, right? Do you think the world was better when Jesus was walking the earth than it is right now? You want to talk about a plague? You want to talk about a pandemic? There were so many, they didn't even have names for them. You want to talk about a dysfunctional society and a dysfunctional government? The Roman Empire, right? Some of the most crazy of laws. Uh, A husband... Uh, had had complete control over their family to the point. I took my daughter, my four-year-old daughter, to the daddy-daughter dance just this this last week. It's just the this most beautiful thing in the world. And then I, I was preparing for my message, and I'm looking at some of the crazy laws in in the days of the Roman Empire. And a father had the legal right to sell their young children into slavery. 
Here I'm taking my daughter to a dance, and I live in a society that I'd be in prison, and I should if I were to choose to do something as crazy and outlandish as that. And in the Roman Empire, a father could sell their kids into slavery. They could own their wife as a piece of property, and there were no legal repercussions if you killed someone in your family, even your own adult children. This is the world that Jesus lived in. The tax collectors, you've heard this before, they basically could charge whatever they want. They took advantage of the people that they were charging. And in Mark 12, 17, Jesus was challenged on this, right? There's all this corruption going on. And so he was asked, are, are you going to continue to pay Caesar his taxes in the midst and the face of the injustices God's people are facing? And Jesus answered the question this way. He said, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give God what is God's. And that can only mean one of two things. Either Jesus didn't care about the injustices of his day, or he had a plan for a better way to overcome them. You know the rest of the story. He had a plan. His better way is love. And it's all over everything that he did. There's a story in John 8 about a woman. You've heard it before. She was caught in the act of adultery. And these religious leaders dragged her out of the act and to the temple where she was in front of a crowd of people and Jesus was there as well. And this is how John's gospel records the interaction. They said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses says to stone her. What should we do? What do you say? And they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down, and he wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. And so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped down again, and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. It's fascinating to me that here we are again with dust. Back in Genesis, it's dust that God used as he scooped it up with his hands to form Adam. And here it's dust that Jesus uses to save this woman from being killed. Now, nobody knows what Jesus was writing in the dust, but there was a tradition that I came across this week that suggests that Jesus might have been writing the sins of all of the people around her that were holding stones. And so one by one, as they saw their own sin written on the ground, they dropped their stone and they walked away. And soon it was just the woman and Jesus, and it says this, Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Did not even one condemn you? No, Lord, not one, she said. And Jesus said, then either do I go and sin no more. Now, you know the irony of the story, right? The irony of the story is that of all of the people gathered, Jesus was the only one that had the right to throw a stone, but he didn't. Because he didn't come to the world to throw stones at sin. He came to the world that he who has no sin would become sin. Sin for us. 
that he would take upon himself your sin and my sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And it comes not by stirring up anger, but it comes through love. Do you see what happened? The stirring stopped and they dropped their stones. And it was all made possible by a God who came in the form of a man to drop his first and to do so to pick up love. And what is love? Love is 1 Corinthians 13. This is not about a wedding. It is about God. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. If Jesus can drop his stone, you can drop yours too. And so can I. And so let's ask God for the faith to do so right now. Lord Jesus, I think the heart of this whole series from here to there is just to to come to the heart of the reality that the journey that we've all been on has been hard some harder than others but difficult for all of us and like a stuffy nose our lash out culture is permeating everything we do it's it's affecting our relationships it's affecting our minds And so, God, I come before you now as somebody who is just as guilty of any of these things as anybody else. And I pray that you would show me in my heart of hearts, as you show all of us in our own hearts, what is the place of anger that we're holding on to? What relationship are we stirring up strife within, churning it like cream churns to butter, twisting our nose, playing a tape over and over again in our heads because there's an injustice that has taken place. And maybe there has. And you are a God of righteousness. And so we come before you with all of the injustices of this world. And we bring them before you knowing that there is only one way that these things will be overcome. It is through your mighty hand. The same hand that came down and created us out of dust in the ground and breathed life into our nose. The same hand that would come as two hands in the form of a man when you sent your son, Jesus, to come to a broken and weary world, not to throw stones at our sin, but to take it upon himself. To drop the stone and pick up love. Jesus, you did that for us. 
And coming to an awareness of that truth in our lives should bring us to a place that we might be able to extend that grace to those around us. That our lives might be marked a little bit more by grace and love than by anger and fear than they were when we came. Help us to drop our stones. It is in Jesus' name.